Well, if you have your Bible, go and grab it and turn with me to Psalm 133 and Psalm 134. Uh, you can find it on the internet as well. We're going to be in Psalm 133 and Psalm 134 as we finish off our series entitled A Summer in the Psalms. And like I said earlier, we're going to start a brand new series next week because this whole year we've been looking at this idea, this concept of wholeness and how God makes us whole. And so we've been really kind of diving in to look at at the way in which we feel broken or banged up and the way in which God can actually put us back together. And so we started the year by just looking at the character of God And then we looked at the character of God's people, the the church. And then this summer, we've been looking at how do we worship God? What does it look like for us to worship God as the king of the universe? And so we've been in 15 psalms, from Psalm 120 to Psalm 134, looking at the ancient people of God and learning how do we worship in light of who God is and what God has done. And then this morning, like I said, we're going to finish off this series before next week we really drill down deep into what does it look like for us to be a people changed by God. And so this fall, we're going we're gonna to dive into 12 marks and then three other kind of uh, uh, foundational pieces to look at these 12 marks of what Christian maturity looks like and how God is reshaping us. And and Lord willing, we're going to take in our missional communities, those are our groups ministry here, we're going to take those and we're just going to kind of work our way through those for the next 16 months, Lord willing. Just looking and saying, okay, Lord, how do you want to reshape us in light of all that has gone on, especially in 2020? I'm not sure about you, but this has been a wonderful year to really just kind of pull back and say, whoa, when, when my freedom is taken, what am I putting my hope in? When, when finances seem to be on the rocks, what am I putting my hope in? So it's a wonderful opportunity this fall for us to kind of pivot and say, what does it look like for us to actually live out what we say we believe? And so that's where we're going this fall, but this morning... Uh, We're looking at the Psalms of Ascent, where the ancient people would go into Jerusalem to worship the Lord. So about nine or ten years ago, I was on a team. uh, I was on a team of employees uh, working uh, with college students. And on that team, it was kind of one of these high-power teams, if you will, where everybody expects a lot from each other. There's a lot of moving pieces. The, the, uh, the numbers that they're wanting you to kind of crank out are, are higher in, in regards uh, to what typically jobs would expect. And so I remember being on this team and, and really enjoying the environment, enjoying going to staff meetings, enjoying working uh, within, uh, with the students. And I remember just the requirements tended to push myself. If you know me at all, I love to, to strive for more, to keep pressing on, to, to achieve more. And I remember just doing everything I can, could to kind of maximize my schedule and just push for more. And then all of a sudden, about halfway through the year, the, the nature of the team just kind of switched. We'd come to staff meetings and, and the leaders began to say, we need more from you. 
You guys are not reaching the numbers that we have set for you. I'm not sure how, how you handle those situations, but my initial response was, okay, i got to do more. So how do I do more? And so I immediately looked at my schedule and just, just kept pressing in and trying to do more, trying to do more. And then meeting after meeting after meeting, they kept saying, hey, we need more from you guys. You're, you're, you're still not getting it. You're still not reaching the mark. You're still not there. And finally, I got to this place where I just kind of broke because I knew I, I couldn't do more. I, I, I'd done everything I thought they expected, and they kept wanting more. In that moment, I, I had a couple of roads I could go down. And unfortunately, the road I chose was the road of anger and bitterness. And so what I typically did and, and what I did in that moment, uh, when I get angry and when I get bitter, I just kind of pull back. And so what I did is I, I just kind of pulled back from the team. I, I would go to staff meetings, but didn't really say a whole lot. I pulled back from my boss. I kind of, we would have meetings and I didn't really say a whole lot, just tried to fly under the radar so that no one sees that I'm not making whatever requirements they're wanting. But all along, I just kept growing more and more angry, more and more bitter, until I still, I can picture the day in the student union sitting at a round table with my boss and him talking about my job, and I finally just blurted it out. I can't do it anymore. And his face just showed horror and sorrow. And for the next few moments, we, we began to talk over why could I just not do it anymore? And as in that moment, I realized something. In that moment, he began to explain to me something. That every week in the staff meeting, when they kept saying they wanted more, they were wanting more from everybody else, not me. Now, do you see what happened there? Because I assumed, because I ran off of what I thought was true, because I ran off of my feelings rather than having a conversation and seeking reality, I allowed bitterness, I allowed anger, and I allowed disunity to fester in my relationship with my boss. And I wonder how many of us often operate based on our feelings rather than on fact. And it's creating all sorts of disunity, all sorts of brokenness, all sorts of hurts in your life. And this morning, that's what these two psalms are really going to show us. They're going to really hit on this idea that the culture is telling us, hey, follow your feeling. What you feel is right. What you feel is good. And the psalmists are going to say, no, what you feel is a fallacy. What you feel is false. Instead, you need to base your life upon the Father, not your feelings. So our main point this morning is that our forever focus must follow the Father, not our feelings. We need to get off of this mentality that we're going to just press into whatever we feel like in the moment. Because there's a million things that can change how we feel. And we need something or someone that never moves, that is just steady, that we can anchor ourselves to and begin to operate our lives off of. 
And so with that, let's go ahead and read our Psalms this morning. Psalm 133, verse 1. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It's like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron running down on the collar of his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon which falls on the mountains of Zion for there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Come bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion who made heaven and earth. How many of you have ever been in a conversation before where, where you're talking about one thing and all of a sudden out of the blue the conversation is done or somehow you're on a completely different topic? Ever had that happen? You know, you're driving with your family, you're talking with your spouse, you're talking about the projects that you're going to do in your backyard, and all of a sudden your wife just blurts out, ooh, I want pancakes. What? Oh, yeah, and, and bacon and, and orange juice. She's like, where did that, we were talking about the grass, how do we get to pancakes? Anybody ever been, and, and it's just like, well, uh, uh, well, I saw a maple tree and thought about syrup and thought about pancakes. Anybody been through that situation? Right? It just shows you how easily distracted we can be, right? Shows you how easily distracted by the things in life that we really can be. If we're not careful, what we will tend to do is we will operate by the seat of our pants rather than based on the Lord. We will tend to operate on what's called the tyranny of the urgent. Ever heard of that idea? The tyranny of the urgent. Whatever is urgent feels like this weight upon us and feels urgent. It feels the most important thing and it just keeps pressing on us until we finally give ourselves to do whatever feels urgent. The problem with that is the, the crying wolf syndrome. That often these things are pressing in on us and they feel like we've got to drop everything to do it and then we do it and we realize... It's not that big of a deal. You know, the little boy cried, wolf, 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 and there's no wolf. That's what the tyranny of the urgent is. It's this idea where we're constantly being pressed to do something, and then in the end we realize that was a waste of my time, waste of my energy, waste of my emotional capacity. And we find that all throughout life. And what we actually need to do, what maturity would actually show us is that in that moment, we would be better if we actually just kind of pulled back, looked at the situation kind of logically, objectively, and began to look at God and then re, uh, refocused on the situation. That we'd actually pull back and begin to see what is best, not what is good. See, I think one of the problems that we have today is that we focus on what is good and we're okay with that. And good distracts us from what's best. We would be better if we focused on what's best. And that's what we see here in Psalms 133 and 134, that we need to focus on what's best. And what is best is focusing on God. As we do that, we see two paths here that we can go down and then we see God's 
method of helping us walk down the right path. So let's look at the, the first path. The first path is following our feelings. I've already been talking that this is kind of what the world does. My guess is most of us have woken up in the morning and been angry. If we think about what did we do that made us angry? We laid horizontal for six to eight hours and somehow we got up and we're just mad at the world. Then why in the world do we base our life on our feelings? If If sleep alone can change them. So the psalmist actually shows us how this plays out in other ways. Look at Psalm 133, verses 1 to 2. The psalmist declares how blessed, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity, when brothers get along with one another. One of the things that you need to do when you read a passage in the Bible is ask yourself, why is this here? Like, why in the world is Psalm 133 talking about this? Because unity is an odd thing, isn't it? (laughs) We know this, 2020, there are so many divisive things, politically, COVID, racial tensions. There's so many things that are dividing our country right now. And our natural self is bent towards thinking what we desire, what we want, rather than what is best for the community at large. Our natural desire is bent upon ourselves rather than seeking out what others desire. And so we begin to plant our flag in the ground and we begin to become immovable and say this is the way it needs to be done and everybody around us needs to change. And when we do that, what does that produce? Disunity, right? It produces a ton of disunity. And why do we do that? We do that because we often want to jockey for position. We often hate the idea that perhaps somebody is better than us or somebody is above us or somebody is higher on the chain than we are. And so we're going to do anything we can to prove our position, to prove our value, to prove our worth. And we want to jockey for position. And so what we end up doing is we try to tear others down so that we can build ourselves that's at the heart of disunity. We, we begin to get frustrated. We begin to get angry because others are, are favored above us. I mean, think about it. We, we've seen this in our community, right? I've been here six years. We've had three police chief tenures. Virtually everybody in the department is gone except two. We've had six different superintendents in six years. We've had fire companies shut down and then reopen. We've had fire companies oust leaders. We've had political leaders be on the front page of the newspaper blasting other political leaders. It's all this disunity that is self-centered, that's all about trying to prove your point, trying to prove why you're valuable, trying to prove why you're more important so that others don't think less of you. It's you trying to jockey for this position because we want to feel like we matter. We hate that feeling that, that just, just maybe our life doesn't matter in the way that we think it matters. So we keep fighting 
for that. And oftentimes we take that same mentality and we apply it to our relationship with Christ. I know some of you have, uh, maybe in years past, maybe the band doesn't do this today, but in years past I know that there was tryouts for band, right? And so you'd have uh, three positions for trumpet and maybe five people. And, and so the first couple of weeks, the band director would get everybody there. Everyone would play their part. And he would, it would be a grueling four, five, six, seven-hour days for a couple of weeks in the heat. You're doing everything you can. You're trying to lay it all down on the line. Why? Because you have to prove to make the band, you have to prove that you are better than everybody else. And we often take that into our relationship with God. We have this mentality that, that, that maybe God only accepts the top 50 people. And so if I can get above the next 50, then I'm doing pretty good. And again, all of that does, all it does is just creates this disunity in our relationships with others. And get this, it creates disunity in our own lives. Because that's a difficult and exhausting to keep going. That's not the only thing that we see happens when we follow our feelings. The other thing is that when we follow our feelings, we want to we focus on our possessions. We want to focus on what we have. Look at me at Psalm, 130 verse, uh, Psalm 134, verse 1. The psalmist here, uh, it says that they're calling for the servants of the Lord. The priests of the house of God, the, the Levites, they're calling for them to come and bless the Lord. It says that those who stand by night in the house of the Lord, to come and bless the Lord, to lift up hands to the holy place. That sounds really strange, doesn't it? I mean, that, that'd be like you like stopping right now, coming to the front. And remember, they sang this. So right now in the middle of the service, getting up, coming right to the front, standing right before me, and start singing to me, preach the word, brother, keep going, keep counseling, keep evangelizing, keep after it, keep leading missional community. That'd be ridiculous, wouldn't it? Especially since if you know my life, I'm doing those things. So why in the world are they singing these songs to the servants of God? to keep doing the work that the servants are supposed to do. Because perhaps they're not doing their job. If you look all throughout the Old Testament, you'll see the servants of God often uh, serving the Lord. And then all of a sudden, they kind of start to wander away. They start to make their service a duty, not a delight. And as a result, they begin to wander from the ways of God. And as they do that, they begin to look at other gods and worship them. They begin to look at other people and what they have and worship that. And they begin to desire more and more and more for themselves. We actually read in the book of Malachi that God indicts his people for stealing from the house of God. The people no longer desire to give of their things to the Lord, but they want to keep it for themselves. And we see the Levites do the same thing. And we see this so often today, don't we? I mean, just turn on your TV. You got these big name preachers who are asking you to give money so that they can have a bigger jet, so that they can have a bigger... Like, what, what pastor, unless he's got 50,000 kids, what pastor needs a $5 million house? I, I, I just don't get that. 
the kind of pastor who has made his job a duty, and the kind of pastor who is no longer loving Jesus but loving possessions. And the scary thing about it is, is this is not just a pastor because uh, Peter will tell us in First Peter chapter 2 that everyone who believes in Jesus Christ is now a priest of God. That means all of you. Paul reiterates this in Ephesians 4 uh, verses 11 and 16 that all of you are ministers if you believe in Jesus Christ. My role is not to do your ministry. My role is to equip you to do ministry. Which is actually scary. Because that means you too have to look at your life and say, am I wandering away from the Lord and into possessions, into the desires of the world rather than the desires of God? We have to actually check our own lives and begin to realize what is our lives going after. And we've got to check our minds. We've got to check what, what is our minds gravitating towards that just stir in our hearts a desire for the things of the world. Let me use an example. A couple of weeks ago, uh, we were watching this show on YouTube called The Weekender. The Weekender is a show put on by Lowe's where this uh, she's an amazingly talented woman. She goes into your house and she will redo your kitchen, redo your dining room, redo your bathroom, whatever it is, in, a, in just a weekend. In, in about 36 hours, she redoes the room. Now, think about it. What's so wrong with watching that show? Nothing. Except for the fact now... I want new kitchen cabinets. I want a new bathroom. And I'm looking at my bed thinking, maybe we can do something different with my bed. With our bed. It's not mine. (laughs) I'm reminded of that regularly. Uh, It's not just mine. I don't need new kitchen cabinets. I don't need a new bathroom. If you need that, that, that's fine. But what I realized is that by watching that, discontentment began to arise in my heart over the very things I already have. And I began to say, I need something that is only a want, not a need. See how subtle that is? We don't realize what we watch, what we look at on our devices, what we listen to creeps in, shapes us, and stirs up discontentment and leads us to wander from the job God has given us to do, which is proclaim his worth and his value and leads us to proclaim the worth and the value of a tool, of a gadget, of a new uh, thing in our house. It begins to cause us to follow our feelings rather than our Father. And that just wreaks a ton of havoc in our lives. So what's the alternative? Well, we see the alternative is that we need to follow our Father. And that's the second point that we see this morning. We need to follow our Father. These two paths, these two psalms are showing us a different path to live on that is different than following our feeling, but one that's actually following the God of the universe. And so look with me at Psalm 133, verses 1 to 3. Psalmist says, How good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity, when brothers in the faith, brothers and sisters who believe in Jesus Christ, when they dwell in unity. And notice what he says it's like. It's like precious oil 
Precious oil being poured out on top and running down the beard, down the beard of, of Aaron onto the collar of his robes. What in the world is he talking about? Well, if you remember, Moses is a man who led the Israelites, the people of God, out of slavery. They were enslaved 400 years. He leads them out to this new land, and Aaron is his brother, and Aaron is appointed as the first high priest. His role would be to offer sacrifices that would cover the sins of the people. Now, for Aaron to do his role, they had to grab oil, and they had to anoint his head. It was kind of this this way of cleansing Aaron or separating Aaron off so that he would be able to offer the sacrifice. Now think about how beautiful of a picture that is. That's Aaron being separated to do the work of God. So it's this beautiful picture of of Aaron being, being honored and allowed to do this work that honestly he had no right to do because of his own sin. And yet because of God, he is able to do that. It's a beautiful picture of the way in which the Lord operates in our lives. That when we are separated from our sin, when we are set apart to do the work of the Lord, it's in that moment that we actually can experience incredible amounts of unity. It's actually in that moment that the Lord is able to work in our lives where we can get along and we can begin to honor the Lord. You know, so often I, I ask uh, people the question, uh, do you have a God story? Something that you've seen God do in the last week in your life. And I find that that is often very, very, very difficult for us to answer. Because our heart and our minds are not attuned to look at what God is doing. They're attuned to look at what God hasn't done. Again, we follow our feelings. We want something, and we follow that instead. And yet what we're seeing here is that the psalmist is reminding us of the reality that our lives are to be separated for God, not for ourselves. And it's as beautiful as oil running down the beard of Aaron. How many of you men shave the old school way? You lather up and you... Get the razor out and you nick yourself and so you put a band-aid on. Anybody? All right, somebody does. I do not. I got the electric one and I still nick myself. I don't know how. But if, if you think about what happens, what do you do typically? What do you do at the end of that shaving process? A lot of times you'll get oil or some sort of lather, that you, not lather, but some oil or, or some sort of aftershave lotion that you put on your face. And it just feels refreshing. Now imagine being 3,000 years ago where soap was not readily available and having this beautifully smelling perfume, if you will, just poured over you on a hot summer day. Just be refreshing. And the psalmist says that's exactly what it's like when people in brothers and sisters in the faith can actually get along. 
And look at the analogy he uses in verse 3. He says it's like the dew of, uh, of Hermon. The, it's a famous mountain in Israel. It's about 9,000 feet in elevation. If you've ever been in a mountain range on a crisp, cool morning, I remember years ago being in Breckenridge in Colorado and getting up. It's, it's like 50 degrees out. and You kind of see the dew sparkle on the grass. Just gorgeous. It's refreshing. Psalm says that's exactly what happens when brothers and sisters in the Lord are unified. And he says that, that it's there. That's in that place. It's in the very place where this unity happens. Which, which note, notice, where, where's the place that unity happens? On the mountains of Zion. Zion was the place where God's presence was said to dwell. It's the place where the people would go and worship the Lord. And the psalmist says, there where God's presence is, where you are dedicated towards the Lord, where you're facing God entirely in that moment, in that place, that is the place in which you begin to experience this unity and you begin to experience this refreshment. And notice what happens. It's in that place that God commands blessing and life forevermore. But how do we do that? We've got to get our eyes off of ourselves and our eyes on to our Savior. We've got to take our eyes off of what we desire, eyes off of what we think about. If you want to know what your eyes are on, just go home today, take about 30 minutes, get your budget, If you don't have a budget, that's going to show something about where your heart really is. But look at your budget, look at your time, and think about where your money and your time go. That's going to show you what really matters in life. So we've got to... We've got to be a people who who are saying, no, 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 no. We're going to press into the Lord. We're going to be about the Lord. We're going to make sure that that our budget and our time reflect the Lord. We're going to make sure that our lives reflect the desire to see God's name proclaimed, God's name advanced. And so in order to do that, we've we've got to put down the things of this world. We've got to be a people that put down our devices so we might focus on the Lord entirely. You know, a few weeks ago, it, it, it's interesting, a few weeks ago I signed up for this email list. This email list, every day, I get it, it shows me all of the wonderful deals around the internet. You know what that made me? Angry and cranky. Because every time my wife and kids interrupted me, and tired, every time my wife and kids interrupted me, I would get angry because I was too busy looking at that. It made me tired because every night I'd go to bed and I'd just look on the internet at all these different items I could potentially buy instead of going to sleep. We've got to get our minds and our eyes off of ourselves, off of the things of the world, and onto the Lord in looking at Him and desiring to know more of who He is. And to do that, we've got to focus on three things. Simple. We've got to pray. We've got to be a people who pray. We've got to be a people who Jesus even says, pray for your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Now, now think about it. How can you, I mean, maybe there's disunity because it's not your fault. I, I totally get that. But how can you be a partner in disunity if you are regularly praying for the person you're disunified with? You can't. 
If you're regularly praying, and, and I don't mean like, Lord, please take them out. <laughs> please end them soon. I don't mean those kind of I mean prayers where you're actually asking God to bless them. And we need to read. We need to read God's Word. The world around you is shaping your minds and your hearts to think about everything else other than God. And if we don't have God's Word in us, if we don't have God's Word shaping us, then I, I don't think we've got a fighting chance. So we've got to be in God's Word. We go by seeking Him. And then we've got to flat out just bless others in word or action. When we feel that desire to, to, to take for ourselves, we've got to push back and actually give to others. Nothing will kill that desire for more for yourself than blessing other people. We've got to be thinking about others. And in doing so, we actually fight for unity. We've got to do the hard work of fighting for, dis, for unity, fighting to get rid of disunity from our lives. And actually, the Apostle Paul tells us that. The Apostle Paul tells us in Titus 3, verses 10 to 11, that we need to warn a divisive person once, and then warn a divisive person a second time, and then we need to have nothing to do with them because they are self-condemned people. That's how much Paul hates disunity. Call it out, call it out, and then say you're, you're condemned because you do not desire the way of God but the way of division. <laughs> Imagine if we actually thought about that and then we thought about that before we posted on Facebook. We thought about that before we gave our own uh, ideas on what's happening in Kenosha right now or, or our own ideas of what's happening with COVID and what Governor Wolf is doing. Imagine if I did that in my own life. Probably wouldn't have such fighting and bickering that we have. We need to be a people that actually follow the Lord. And then we've got to fight for ministry. Look at verses 1 to 3 of Psalm 134. The people are encouraging the servants of the Lord to bless the Lord, to lift up their hands, to, to praise Him, to sing His praises. And then as a result, they're asking God to bless them. Did, did you think about that progression? Do the work, servant. Do the work, minister. Keep pressing. Keep going after it. Do not give up. And if you do, God, please bless them. Please rain down and see their hearts, see their love, and just keep blessing them. Keep pressing in. And so you and I have got to be a people who love Jesus so much that we are identifying the gifts we have. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have a gift from God. So we've got to, we've got to recognize we've got a gift. We've got to identify what those gifts are, and then we've got to use those gifts to bless the church, to bless others. That produces unity. That per produces perseverance in ministry where God is lifted high. We've got to just keep pressing in, and as we do, God will bless us. But again, like... <laughs> 
we get to this point, don't we? We, we get to this point, and it's like, man, I want unity. I, I want to keep persevering, but I don't know about you. There, there are just some days that it is just a fight to get out of bed. It's a fight to get to lunch. It's a fight to get to dinner. It's a fight to get our kids to bed without a fight. It just feels like, man, like how do I do this? Well, fortunately, you and I don't have to do this because you and I can't do this. But we've got the Father who can. And so we've got to look to the Father, and we've got to look at His faithfulness to His followers. And so let's look there. Look at the faithfulness that He gives us. Look with me at the end of uh, Psalm 133. It talks about that there's blessing in life forevermore. Church, that if we fight for unity, if we fight for pursuing the ministry God has given to us, if we neglect our feelings, but rather walk by faith, we will get life forevermore. How do we know that? Well, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Flip almost all the way to the end of the Bible. Ephesians chapter 2. I reference this pretty regularly, but I want us to actually look, see it, be mesmerized by it. Ephesians chapter 2. It's about two and about three quarters, 90% of the way through your Bible. I want us to, to understand this here. Paul tells us in Ephesians 2, verses 1 to 3, he says, And you, it's true of everybody who doesn't believe in Jesus, even those who, of us who do. This is true of our life before Christ. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And get this, we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Get what Paul just said. You want to follow your feelings rather than the Father, you will get the wrath of the Father forever. You want to follow your feelings By doing so, you follow Satan, and by doing so, you get the wrath of God forever. I don't know about you reading that. It just feels like a weight. And it feels like verse 4 needs to say, but Derek, Derek, this is what you've got to do to get out of that. Derek, this is the 10 things to clean up your life, the 10 commandments, the 10 bill of rights for you to clean up your life so that maybe you have a fighting chance. But notice where Paul goes. He says, but God. I I believe those are the two best words in the entire Scripture. Not but Derek, not but Dave, not but Joe, not but Josh, not but Wayne, not but Amanda, not but Alicia, but God. Being rich in mercy. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us. Uh, I I don't get it, (laughs) but he's got great love. I don't understand why, because look at what he says. Even when we were dead 
Not when we were clean, but when we were dead in our trespasses. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And if that's not enough for you, listen to this. And raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. How do we know? Why do we know that there is blessing and life forevermore? Because when I was dead in my trespasses, but God, rich in mercy, with the great love that He has, lavished that on me to not just rescue me, not just raise me from the dead, but think about it, raised us to sit at the right hand of God God, the very place of power. You want to get rid of your jockeying for position? Realize that through Christ, you get a far greater position than you could ever imagine. Think about in this world, I could be the best pastor. I could be the best parent. I could be the best husband, maybe. But with Christ, I get to be ruler and the best of all things for all of eternity. It is in Him that He gives life and He gives blessing forevermore. And so church, this morning, so often we don't have unity because our focus is on ourselves and not on our Savior. Our focus is on these 80, 90, 100 years. Give me a break. We get an eternity with the God of the universe where it says that the immeasurable riches of God's grace are given to us. Let me tell you, my bank account's not immeasurable. I can measure it pretty easily. But through Christ, I will be given all possessions, all positions, all love, all mercy forever. The question is, do we want to follow our feelings and follow the way of the world, or are we going to finally submit and just say, you know, I need to follow the Father. It's going to look weird. People are going to hate me. People are not going to understand what I'm doing. But you know what? That's the better way. It might even lead to my death, but that's the better way because it leads to life forevermore. So church, are you going to follow your feeling? Are you going to plant your flag in the truth of our Father who gives life forevermore? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your truth. We thank you for the goodness of your word. God, thank you for how convicting it, it is for us to, to really be thinking about our lives and to, to look at the areas in which we follow our feelings rather than you. Father, would you now do a work in our hearts to show us those areas in which we're resting in us and not in you, where we're trusting in us and not in you. Father, take our eyes off of possessions, take our eyes off of positions, and place our eyes fully on you, who is our provider, who is our perfecter of our faith, who is the one who loved us and gave us all things. Father, please help us to see that. We pray in your son's name. Amen.